0: All right. Well, like I said, I'm excited to be here today on a family Sunday. My name is Warren Truesdale. If y'all don't know me, I am the middle school minister here at DBC. And uh, my wife, Shelby, and I, who is not here, she was seated here in the first service. She has abandoned me. Um, we've, been, we've been here at DBC for for six years now, and uh, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old, almost four-year-old daughter named Aubrey, and she's got a little bouncy blonde ringlets, you see her running around, and then we have a one-and-a-half-year-old son, Carter, who's also a little blondie, uh, but he's more bald than blonde, but he, he's getting there, and um, yeah, I just want to say thank you to DBC. You guys have loved our family really, really well and cared for our family well, so it's an honor to be here. You know, it's funny, uh, Aubrey and I have started playing this game together. Okay, so kids in here, who here plays games with their parents? Yeah, a couple, okay. I know where the cool parents are. The rest of y'all are boring. Um, So Aubrey and I started playing this game recently where, where we just make up stories, right? We just make them up for fun. So the other day, we're at the park, and I'm pushing her on the swing, and I say, Aubrey, you want to tell each other stories? And she says, oh my goodness, Yes, Daddy. Okay, so, oh my goodness, that's her favorite phrase right now. So, I launch into a story, right, and it's about a family of bears and a big, fat squirrel. Okay, so the story went something like this. Once upon a time, there was a family of really nice bears, and they lived in a beautiful, green forest. And because they were bears, their favorite food was berries. She's, she, she's three. She thought that was really funny. Some of y'all have the sense of humor of a three-year-old. Um, so they love blackberries and raspberries and blueberries, but their favorite berry of all was strawberries. Right? And so she, Aubrey interjects. She's like, oh, my goodness. I love strawberries. It's like, I know. That's why it's in the story. So... Uh, <laughs> Back to the story, it's like, but there was also a big fat squirrel that lived in the forest. And the big fat squirrel started eating all of the bear's berries. So the bear family started going hungry and they were really sad. So one day they saw the big fat squirrel and they said, hey, big fat squirrel, stop eating all of our berries. And so the big fat squirrel said, I'm so sorry. Come with me, and I'll show you my secret stash of berries. So the big fat squirrel takes the bear family to his secret stash of berries. And the stash is so big that the bear family never goes hungry again. The end. Okay? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I know. I know it's a masterpiece. Um, Disney's interested. So... So then it's Aubrey's turn, okay? So Aubrey launches into her story. She says, once upon a time, there was a bear family and a big fat squirrel, but there was also a forest monster and the forest monster ate them all. The end, just stops. It's like, okay, well, it's a little disturbing. We all love stories. No matter the time, no matter the place, no matter the culture, stories have been used to communicate truth about reality. Stories are foundational to human society. We connect with stories. That's why Disney makes so much money. That's why they're going to make so much money when they take my story and make it into a movie. But we love good stories. This is a story. The Bible is a story. The one true story about everything. So the question is what is this story about? Okay, the answer might surprise you. So today we're going to be going from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Okay, so buckle up. Sorry, don't worry. We'll only be here for three hours. Um that was a joke. We're going to be flying at 30,000 feet, okay? But the goal here is to answer the question. What is the biblical story about what is God trying to tell us through this story? Okay, so the biblical story is not about bears in a forest. It's about God in a garden. Beginning, the middle, the end of the story is all saying the same thing. God desperately desires to dwell with us, with me, with you, on earth, in the garden. That's the biblical story. So, let's dive in. Okay, so Genesis 1. What's... Uh, What's a phrase that we use often to, to start a story, to alert people that, hey, you're in a story, you're listening to a story. Right, I'm a middle school minister, so I'm going to be asking questions. You have to talk back to me or I'm going to think you're not paying attention. So uh, y- y- Y'all took my punchline, all right? Yes, in the beginning, but before that, once upon a time, okay? Or if you're George Lucas, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? And then boom. I know who my Star Wars nerds are. Uh, we're in a story, right? And like Leah said, that's exactly what we have at the beginning of the biblical story. In the beginning, dot, dot, dot. And we're off. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God creates a world, and then he fills that world with goodness and beauty. Okay, and the pinnacle of creation, the most glorious part, Is me and you. We're made in God's image. But the goal of creation is for God to be with us on earth in the garden. So what does he do in Genesis 2? He plants a garden. Now, you really, really, really need to pay attention right here. Okay, so it's crucial that we go into some details here at the beginning of the story. Okay, because the details at the beginning of the story are going to show up again and again and again throughout the story. Okay, so to make sure you're paying, paying attention, we're going to do a pop quiz. Okay? The kids in here are like, it's summer. You thought. School's back in session. Okay, pop quiz. I think we got a slide there. Who and what is in the Garden of Eden? Just start naming things. Adam. Adam and Eve. Trees, Animals there's a snake that shows up. Okay, I like it. Y'all were much more interactive than the the first, the first hour was like crickets for a while. Uh, There might might be crickets in the garden. Okay, so I think y'all passed pretty well. There we go. So we got Adam and Eve, a lot of trees. Y'all said that, and I heard someone say the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's fruit, there's plants, there's animals, there's a river that runs through the garden, and then after it leaves the garden, it's it goes into four rivers and it waters the lands around uh, from the Garden of Eden. And then most importantly, God is in the garden. To understand the rest of the story, the rest of the biblical story, we have to grasp the goodness of the garden. Okay, so life in the fullest sense is present in the garden because God is present in a very particular sense. God's presence in the garden is special. It's intimate. It's experienced. It's safe. It's whole. It's tangible. God is walking and talking in the garden. This is what creation was all for. God and humanity together on earth in the garden. But we know what happens, right? Someone said there's a snake there in the garden too. Genesis 3, the fall. Adam and Eve, they align with the serpent and they eat from the one tree that God tells them not to eat from. So sin has now broken into the world and death follows. So God curses the serpent He judges Eve and Adam, and he exiles them from the garden. He kicks them out. So Adam and Eve no longer have access to the tree of life, and more than that, that special intimate presence with God in the garden is lost. And then on the east side of the Garden of Eden, God places two cherubim, okay? Cherubim are like these freaky-looking angelic creatures, okay? They're not like little babies flying around kind of terrifying looking. Uh, He puts one on each side of the garden gate. It's closed and they have a flaming sword that guards the entrance, right? No one can get back into the garden. So Adam and Eve and their descendants, they live in a broken world full of sin and the eventual end is physical death. Everyone's going to die. But God still desperately desires to dwell on earth in the garden with us. All right, so the great garden rescue plan begins, okay? I have a quote here from an Old Testament scholar, Sandra Richter. I think she puts it really well. God's original intent is his final intent. Eden was the perfect plan, and God has never had any other. His goal was that the people of God might dwell in the place of God enjoying the presence of God. This is all our Heavenly Father has ever wanted for us, and everything that lies between Eden's gate and the New Jerusalem, the bulk of our Bibles, is in essence a huge rescue plan. In fact, we could summarize the plot line of the Bible into one cosmic question. How do we get Adam, humanity, back into the garden? That's from our book, The Epic of Eden. So, the rest of the Bible, you got Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. The rest of the Bible is operation, bring humanity back to the garden. Okay, and actually, as we're going to see, it's really operation, God is bringing the garden back to humanity. Okay, so what he does then after the Garden of Eden, fall, exile, is he plants another garden. He actually plants two gardens. And the gardens I'm talking about are the tabernacle. And the temple. So, we're, going, we're flying through this, like I said, 30,000 feet. Eden, exiled. God forms a people out of Abraham, Israel, right? And then he saves them from Egypt. And God doesn't save them just to save them. He saves them to live with them, to be with them on earth. So what he does is he instructs Moses to build a tabernacle, his home. Okay, and then later on, he does the same with Solomon to build a temple, so we're going to combine these two, the, the tabernacle and the temple. And what God does when he instructs Moses and then Solomon to build a temple is that he makes the temple a garden. Okay, so some of y'all are looking at me like, what? The temple is a garden. Yes, it is. Okay, I want you all to think about this. Think about Christmas time, Okay. All the kids who were not paying attention are paying attention now. Think about Christmas time. And if I invited you over to my home and I said that you were invited to a winter wonderland Christmas party, what would you expect to be there? Snow, okay. Christmas trees, people. That's true. Food, Christmas music, hot chocolate, gingerbread house, right, eggnog, what? Gifts, got it, gifts, yes. What was that, Daniel? That's true, because I'm inviting you there. Good point. Okay, yeah, but you would expect to have trees, Christmas tree, right? If you don't have a real tree, you probably have like scented Christmas candles that smell like Christmas, or even the little fake ornaments you hang on the tree to smell like the tree, right? Christmas lights, Santa Claus, someone in the first service said Elsa, um, you know, snowmen, whatever, right? So you get it. So the, the goal, the goal would be when you walk into my home, you are transported into a winter wonderland Christmas. That is exactly what God does with the temple. But instead of Christmas, it's the garden, Okay, so we have, a, we have a slide here. So Tabernacle Temple has a garden. Exodus 25 through 40 is where you find the instructions for the tabernacle. First Kings 6 through 8 is the temple. Okay, we're not going to read all of these, but I summarized it. So just like the Garden of Eden, okay, remember, the temple is built to be a copycat of the Garden of Eden. So just like the Garden of Eden, there's three-tier geography. Okay, so you got the Garden, Eden, The rest of the land, one, two, three. In the temple, you got the courtyard, the holy place, the most holy place, one, two, three. You enter both from the east. Okay, remember the cherubim, the Garden of Eden, are on the east side, right? Gates closed. You enter the temple and the tabernacle from the east. And then there are garden decorations everywhere in the temple. Okay, so there's a ritual bath in the courtyard where the priests, they, they wash off their impurities, It's made to look like a lily flower, and around that, there's decorative fruit. In the holy place is the golden lampstand, and it looks like a flowering tree. Then there are palm trees and hundreds of pomegranates decorated throughout the temple. And on top of that, it even smells like a garden, because there's incense burning 24-7. And the incense is like a floral, foresty incense. And then finally, as you're making your way closer and closer to the most holy place, you come to a curtain, and on the curtain are cherubim, guarding God's presence. And then you go into the most holy place, and you have the Ark of the Covenant, which is like this big flat thing. And then on each side, you have have, two—I'm sorry, you have one here, one here, two total, one massive cherubim, and then another massive cherubim, guarding God's presence because that is where God dwells. So, the temple is a garden, because God desires to dwell with us on earth in the garden. Now, here's the deal. The temple is not the same as the Garden of Eden. Because of Israel's sin and impurity, no one can enter into God's presence except one man once a year the high priest. And he's got to follow like super strict rules to even be able to do that. So although God is with his people on earth in the garden, his people are not in the garden with him yet. Okay, so what am I saying? Major point here. The temple, the tabernacle and the temple, what is the purpose? Okay, then we have a slide for this. God's presence in the temple reminds Israel of the original presence in the Garden of Eden. It provides a microcosm, right, a little part of that garden in the present, and it points forward to the new Garden of Eden that God will establish once and for all. So the rest of the Old Testament, okay, remember we did Genesis 1, 2, and 3, tabernacle, temple, the rest of the Old Testament is the story about God trying to live and desperately wanting to and desiring to live with Israel on earth in the garden, and Israel is consistently not wanting to live with him. So eventually, Israel becomes so corrupt. uh, There's so much social injustice going on. There's so much idolatry. They're actually worshiping other gods in the temple Eventually, God, his presence, leaves the temple. He leaves. Now, he promises to come back, but he's gone. He leaves. Israel is sent into exile. They're away from God's special garden presence, and they're waiting. They're waiting for God's promise to come true. And while they're waiting, something crazy happens. John, in his gospel, puts it like this in John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God so desperately wants to be with you, to dwell with you on earth, in the garden. He became human. Jesus came to be with us, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he brings the garden back. That's why it's no mistake, okay, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, his life is marked, it's set off by, a series of events that happen in gardens. Okay, Jesus is betrayed and arrested in a garden, Garden of Gethsemane, right? And then John, in his gospel, he gives us this little side note that's really important. In John 19, verse 41 to 42, he goes out of his way. This is, he's talking about where Jesus was crucified and then buried. This is what he says. Now, there was a garden at the place where Jesus was crucified, And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one was yet buried. So there, on account of the day of preparation of the Jews, because the tomb was close by, they buried Jesus. So, get this. Jesus is arrested, betrayed, and arrested in a garden. He is then led to his death in another garden. And how does he die? Crucifixion. Jesus is literally hung on a tree... In a garden. So the tree over here, the Garden of Eden, that has led to death and destruction, is now overcome and defeated by the tree in this garden. The cross is now the tree of life. Then, after his death, he is buried in a garden tomb and he defeats death. He comes back to life in a garden. Okay so why all of this like garden reminiscence like what's going on here okay what what is God trying to say Because God desires to dwell with us on earth in the garden and we can't do anything to accomplish that Jesus is the one that accomplishes that for us The door that was shut in the garden of Eden guarded by cherubim has now been broken open. That's why when Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of John comes to the garden, comes to the tomb, she's able to look into the tomb because the door is open, the stone's rolled away. And guess what she sees? This is we can we have a slide for this too. So Mary's in the garden, Jesus is resurrected from the dead, she stoops and Mary stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Okay, so you have where Jesus had been lying, a flat surface. You have an angel here, angel here. What does that remind you of? It's the Ark of the Covenant. The garden tomb is the Holy of Holies, and it has been broken open. The door is now open because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because God desperately desires to dwell with you on earth in the garden. And Jesus accomplishes that. Okay, but God is still not done. Some people in here are like, man, when is this guy stop talking about gardens? Okay, so Jesus ascends to the Father after his, after his resurrection. He's ruling at the Father's right hand. But what does God want? What does He desire? I've said this like 50 times, so hopefully it's starting to kick in, right? God desperately desires to dwell on Earth, with us in the garden. So God comes back again: the Father, the Son, Son, and the Spirit. And the Spirit is now dwelling in me, in you. Believers in Jesus, God is now in us. And what does the Spirit make us into? Gardens. Y'all we're like, wait, what? Okay, so this is, this, is, this is a metaphor that Paul uses to talk about the church in the New Testament several times. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 4 through 7. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that uh, he planted, and notice that word, he planted. Um, this is what he says For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not acting like fallen men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. And so when the Spirit is at work in and through us, what does the Spirit produce? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, this is the mind-blowing part. God is bringing the garden back to, the, back to humanity through me and you. Okay, but we're, we're, not, we're not all the way there yet. Because just like plants, we still die. Death and brokenness are still a part of reality. But they won't be for much longer. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the sending of the Spirit has changed everything. Okay? And Jesus is coming back quite literally to change everything. He's going to make everything new. And why is he going to do that? Because God desperately desires to dwell with us on earth in the garden. So when Jesus comes back to earth, he's bringing the new garden with him. And those who have died as believers in Jesus are going to be resurrected, be given new bodies, and we're going to be on earth in the garden with God forever so i want you to listen to the ending of the story john in revelation gets a little glimpse of the end i want you to just let these words just pour over you okay this is from revelation 21 and 22 then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among humanity, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new." Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face." And his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give light to them, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the biblical story, the one true story of everything. And the story is meant to tell us about the God that we worship. The one true God. The God who created the expansive universe. That same God. He desperately desires to dwell with you. On earth. In the garden. So, from the Garden of Eden, to the tabernacle to the temple, to the incarnation, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, sending of the Spirit to the new garden. God is relentless and wanting to be with you. And soon, Jesus is coming back. And he's going to bring the garden with him. And when he does make everything new, my daughter Aubrey she's still gonna to get to eat strawberries and she'll get to say oh my goodness I love strawberries but she won't be talking to me hopefully I'll be close by she'll be talking to Jesus face to face that day is coming all right let's pray father thank you so much for your word, that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would show us over and over and over again that you want to be with us. So Lord, I pray for, for someone in here who needs to hear that, who needs to know that you love them and that you want to be with them. Make that truth true to us. Thank you for your relentless love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.